Cafe Podcast family, here's a question for you. During my last call, a patient came in at 30 weeks pregnancy with a recurrent migraine attack. Now, she had a history of migraines before, and although she had done great for the first 30 weeks of her pregnancy, she was now experiencing an exacerbation. Now, she had normal blood pressure and no focal or gross neurological deficits. And because she stated it felt like her typical migraine, we did not pursue any imaging. She was reluctant to use Imitrex during pregnancy, despite our coaching, and so she was surprised when I ordered Reglan and Benadryl. She said, well, what is Reglan and Benadryl going to do? Isn't that for your stomach and for allergies? But she was greatly surprised when within 30 minutes, her headache seemed to be getting better and within the hour, completely broke. So how does this work? Is there data for Benadryl and Reglan for migraine attack in pregnancy? Or did I just throw that off the shelf? Well, the truth is there is data for that and it's growing. In this podcast, we're going to briefly cover headaches during pregnancy and take a look at the data, even though it's small, but it is reassuring regarding Benadryl use and Reglan as an atypical regimen for breaking headaches in pregnancy. This is Clinical Pearls. The complaint of headache is not rare in pregnancy. In most cases, headache is a primary disorder, meaning there's no other secondary pathology at work behind the scene. The most common types of primary headache in pregnancy include migraine and tension type of headache. Tension type of headache represents about 26% of headaches in pregnancy. Tension type of headache would be expected to improve during pregnancy because the pregnancy hormones actually modulate serotonin and endorphins, which are involved with tension type of headache pathophysiology. Tension headaches indeed rarely worsen during pregnancy. Now, what about migraines? Well, remember that migraines are predominantly a female disorder affecting about 3 to 1 female over males. Evidence suggests that migraine activity is influenced by hormonal factors and particularly by hormonal fluctuations. During pregnancy, estrogen may reach about 100 times the normal level, while progesterone levels actually decrease and then rise again towards the end of pregnancy. However, hormonal fluctuations are not as pronounced as during the non-pregnant state. Most women with migraine report an improvement of their attacks during pregnancy from the first to the third trimester, particularly women with a history of menstrual migraines and women that have migraine without aura. Now, here's a clinical pearl. There is increasing evidence showing that migraine is a risk factor for several vascular complications during pregnancy. So women who have typical migraine headaches with or without aura require closer follow-up. And remember to ask your neurologist for help to manage these patients throughout gestation. They are not necessarily benign. So here's the pearl. These vascular complications that have been associated with migraine in pregnancy include gestational hypertension and preeclampsia development, stroke, myocardial infarction, and even venous thromboembolism. So migraine should be considered a potential cardiovascular risk factor in OB care. Some have advised that the women who have migraine in pregnancy should use low-dose aspirin because of this increased risk of preeclampsia. 
migraine during pregnancy has also been associated with a higher risk of preterm birth, low birth weight, infant hospitalization, and oddly enough, even febrile seizure. Now here's a quick word about cluster headaches. Cluster headache is a relatively rare primary headache with severe intensity that's stabbing in quality and it's also highly debilitating. Now that can have some associated autonomic symptoms and it affects men much more frequently than women. The scientific literature lacks a large prospect of studies about the effect of pregnancy on these types of headaches because it's only seen in about 0.3% of pregnancies. So once again, that's your take-home clinical pearl. Cluster headaches are out there, but they're much less common in women and much less common in pregnancy. Despite the rare cases in which the first attacks occur during the first pregnancy, almost a quarter of pregnant women report an expected cluster period does not develop during pregnancy while it may start soon after delivery. So again, in women who do have a diagnosed cluster headache, the good news is it tends to go away in pregnancy but may recur in the postpartum state. Okay, everyone, remember that we talked about primary versus secondary headaches. During pregnancy, primary headaches can show a tendency to change patterns during gestation. In other words, if a woman has migraine without aura, they can soon develop aura in pregnancy or vice versa. Or if they typically have migraine headaches, they can actually convert to tension type headaches. So remember, anything goes in terms of headaches in pregnancy, although thankfully the majority tend to get better during gestation. Now, even without a prior headache history, migraine without aura can start de novo during pregnancy in up to 10% of pregnant women. But these are the women that you've got to be careful about. Remember, so women who say, look, I've always been fine. I've never been bothered by migraines, but something is weird. That's where our evaluation of possible secondary causes come in, especially if there's gross or focal neurological findings. Be on the conservative side and image that patient and or seek neurology consult because we don't want to miss an intracranial pathology. Now, thankfully, for the vast majority of women who suffer with migraines and are afraid of getting pregnant, give them this reassuring data. In a 2017 published systematic review in the Journal of Headache and Pain, about one-half to three-fourths of female migraine patients experienced a marked improvement in migraine during pregnancy with a significant reduction in frequency and intensity of their attacks, if not a complete resolution. Maggioni et al. reported an absolute improvement during the first trimester with a further reduction during the second and third ones. And data has been confirmed by more recent studies that migraines tend to get better during pregnancy. But remember, anything goes and it is possible to develop them de nouveau in pregnancy in some cases. Well, what about secondary issues? Well, Robbins et al. published their review of secondary headaches among 140 pregnant women presenting with acute headache or new-onset headache, and they found the following etiologies. Hypertensive disorder pregnancy covered 51% of these cases, which is not that astounding. Preeclampsia was a major cause, followed by posterior reversible leukencephalopathy syndrome, or PRES, 
eclampsia, and even reversible cerebral vasoconstriction syndrome. And in some cases, acute arterial hypertension was the cause. So it's important to rule out hypertensive disorders. And once again, if there's any gross or focal neurological symptoms, be quick to scan that patient's head because you don't want to miss another secondary pathology. Okay, now most women think if I can just get through pregnancy without a headache, then that'd be great. But we have to remember, unfortunately, the postpartum period is not immune either. Migraines may occur after delivery, triggered by the abrupt fall in the levels of estrogen. It can be triggered by postpartum depression or because of the new parental role and all that it implies, like sleep deprivation, anxiety, worry, and psychological adaptation stresses that can trigger headache. Postpartum headache occurs in about 30 to 40% of all women, not only migraine patients. Most of these attacks develop during the first week after delivery, with a parent sparing of the day of birth, so at least that's some relief. During the postpartum period, it has been published that headache intensity, pain duration, and analgesic use tend to increase. Okay, now as we get into the medications, remember the two most common types of headache in pregnancy are tension type and migraine. First-line treatments for migraine during pregnancy are usually non-pharmacological and focus on healthy lifestyle practices including quality sleep, regular exercise, nutritional supplements, and adequate hydration. Relaxation training and biofeedback have also been shown in published literature to be effective when practiced consistently during pregnancy and can help prevent migraine. Beginning with the simplest and the safest medication options, acetaminophen or Tylenol is considered the first-line therapy to control pain in all pregnant women, especially when the pain is just starting rather than when it's at its peak intensity. NSAIDs are also okay for use unless the patient is over 28 to 32 weeks when consensus opinion is not to use them. Studies on triptans like Imitrex in pregnancy have been fairly reassuring. For pregnancies where triptan use is needed, Imitrex is usually the first triptan to be prescribed. Sumatriptan or Imitrex has been available longest and has the most safety data. It is actually a neurology-approved second-line option in these cases. Other triptans have not been shown to be harmful, but they have rarely been studied, so stick with Imitrex if you have to with a second-line option. Now, it's been hypothesized that the vasoconstricting action of triptans could cause harm to an unborn fetus. However, studies have investigated outcomes, including miscarriage, congenital malformations, prematurity, and low birth weight, and found no conclusive evidence of adverse effects. Imitrex is also helpful because it can be used by women with cluster headaches, although much more rare, as we've already stated, and it can be used during pregnancy. Opioids and ergot alkaloids, however, are another story. Opioids are not recommended for use in pregnancy because of their addiction potential, and the issue of ergot alkaloids is a true contraindication. So here's a clinical pearl. Ergot alkaloids are contraindicated due to their ability to cause vasoconstriction of the uterus. Studies have linked the use of ergot medications during pregnancy with low birth weight and preterm birth. 
opioids are not considered an effective treatment for migraine and are rarely prescribed as a rescue treatment in that setting. A large study found a link between the use of opioids in early pregnancy and certain fetal problems. However, the study had some methodological limitations. So in short, if necessary, short-term use of opioids in pregnancy is a possibility. However, this is not a common strategy for use in migraine. So here's a quick wrap-up. Opioids and ergots are no-go for migraine attack in pregnancy, and if you have to use Imitrex, they are an approved second-line therapy. And even though the data seems to be pretty reassuring, try to avoid their use in the first trimester just because of the natural risk of miscarriage that already exists, and it can muddy the picture. So Imitrex is okay, but most consensus opinion is to avoid in the first trimester. Okay, what about supplements? People like their supplements. Hey, I like my supplements too. I'm a big fan of turmeric and vitamin D. But does this have a role for what we're talking about here? Well, magnesium and riboflavin have been studied for migraine attack in women. Some women take magnesium or riboflavin supplements as part of their anti-migraine regimen, and they do have some data showing that they can be effective. Now, of the two supplements, magnesium, of course, has a long history of use in pregnancy and is considered safe. And again, some fair evidence that it can help prevent migraine attack, although it's not great evidence. But riboflavin, on the other hand, has no data on fetal risk and is currently not recommended as a supplement in pregnancy. Okay, podcast family, here's my self-confession of my guilty pleasure, okay? After my long call or a long day, I like to sit in front of the TV and do nothing. And I'm a big fan of the criminal shows. So I just do. But during those commercials, there's always a commercial for Botox for migraine. Well, can that be used in pregnancy for acute care? Or is this for chronic care? Or what are we talking about here? Well, first of all, Botox, which again, advertises a lot on the TV. Botox for migraine is not for acute therapy. Botox injection is only for chronic migraine sufferers. So let's talk about that in a little more detail as it relates to pregnancy. Botox is the only FDA-approved medication for chronic migraine, which means headaches on 15 or more days a month. The more frequent the headache, actually, the better the patient does with Botox. Remember that Botox is a form of botulinum toxin, the neurotoxin produced by the bacteria that causes botulism. Now, when the Botox botulinum toxin is purified and used in tiny dosages, it temporarily reduces muscle contraction for about three months. And because there is a component of muscle tension and muscle spasm leading to migraine as a reflex in the vascular response, that's where Botox comes in. Now, there's not much data available to guide us on the use of Botox in pregnancy. It was previously classed into the ABCX system that's no longer used. It was previously classed as pregnancy category C. It has not been associated with any adverse events in the fetus. Well-controlled trials, however, have not been conducted for this medication, specifically in pregnancy. However, there is a case report, just a case report of an end of one, of a woman who started Botox for migraines in her 18th week of pregnancy because they were debilitating. Now, her child was followed for six and a half years and had no adverse events. Remember, that's a case report with an end of one. Botox has been placed, remember, in the previous ABC system as category C. So it's not X, but category C still raises some questions. Now, even though the data is reassuring, here's the clinical pearl. 
Even though no clinical evidence suggests that Botox is unsafe in pregnancy or while breastfeeding, it is pretty sensible not to inject a toxin into a pregnant woman just in case something happens to the baby. Okay, I know what you're thinking. Weren't we supposed to be talking about Reglan and Benadryl for this? Well, yes, we are, and now we're at that point. But I just didn't want to go right to that because I thought the rest of the information could be helpful. A 2018 published study in the American Journal of Perinatology raised this issue of whether Benadryl and Reglan can help reduce headache frequency in pregnancy, specifically with regards to migraine. Now, this was an RCT, and it was called the metoclopramide and diphenhydramine RCT for the treatment of headache in pregnancy when acetaminophen alone is ineffective. Yeah, all of that is the title. This was called the MAD or the MAD headache study. Now, these authors investigated whether Reglan administered with diphenhydramine relieved headache in pregnant women when acetaminophen alone was ineffective using codeine for comparison. This study used normotensive pregnant women in the second or third trimester who were randomized to either the diphenhydramine and Reglan combination, which was 10 milligrams and 25 milligrams respectfully, or codeine orally about 30 milligrams for a headache after about 1,000 milligrams of acetaminophen had failed to relieve their headache. Now, because I said that very quickly, I want to redo the dosages again. Remember, we're talking about 10 milligrams of Reglan and 25 milligrams of Benadryl. So here was how this worked. Headaches were graded as a severity between a normal 0 and 10 scale, and it was noted at intervals over 24 hours. The primary outcome was reduction in pain score 6 hours after medication administration. A sample size calculation of 35 patients per group was based on an estimated reduction in headache pain score by at least two points with an alpha that was still set at 0.05 with 80% power, which is typical for an RCT. The authors concluded that the MAD or MAD regimen, which was metoclopramide and diphenhydramine, provided quicker pain relief than codeine as an alternative when acetaminophen failed. So there is data that metoclopramide and diphenhydramine or MAD can effectively break an acute migraine in pregnancy. And remember, as a last clinical pearl, that there is actually data for the use of decadron or dexamethasone prior to discharge once the patient's headaches better because it tends to reduce the risk of migraine recurrence within 24 hours. This is much more of a neurology thing than OB, but the data is there. Data does support the common preventative measure used by neurologists, which is the IV dose of dexamethasone or decadron at 10 milligrams slow IV push given at time of patient discharge because it tends to reduce the recurrence rate of headache within 24 hours. All right, podcast family, as we wrap this up, a quick word about preventative medications in the postpartum period during lactations. Now, this specifically applies to women who have a history of recurrent headaches in the postpartum period and are worried about that limiting their quality of life. Preventative medications for migraine during lactation include verapamil, propranolol, magnesium, and even sodium valproate, all of which are compatible with breastfeeding. 
Results from a 2013 study published in the journal Headache showed that although valproic acid is considered high risk during pregnancy, this medication is safe to use while breastfeeding due to low concentrations in breast milk. Well, there you go. Don't forget the MAD protocol. That's M-A-D for metoclopramide and diphenhydramine or Reglan and Benadryl for the acute treatment of severe headache in pregnancy. Also, don't forget to look for secondary causes in weird presentations or women who present with de novo headache, especially if there's some weird neurological finding. Get that head imaging study because, again, we don't want to miss secondary pathology. And remember to check that blood pressure. Guys, we're thankful that you're part of our podcast family, and I hope this podcast was helpful. So we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls. Thank you.